as the band grab comfy your seats. I'm going to begin this sermon this morning with a little bit of a confession, which maybe I shouldn't share, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, this isn't the first time I've preached on these verses. Back when I was cutting my teeth in Leslie, I preached on these verses, and I remember thinking I was going to try and be all clever and give people a deep theological exegesis of these verses. So that's exactly what I did. I crammed in as many theological terms as I could, some quotes, and I tried to preach this sermon like I would write a college essay. And I had a bit of an epiphany as I was doing that, because as I looked out into the church, now this was an evening service, there was maybe only about... 10, maybe 15 people at a Leslie Baptist Church evening service. But I looked out at these people and they looked bored, senseless. I mean, these, these people were, are, were completely and utterly bored. And that was only on point one, and I think I had four or five points that, that, that morning. You'll be glad to hear there's only three this morning. Um, and then, as I went, continued preaching through the sermon, I had what has been the most unsettling feeling for me as a preacher, when it suddenly occurred to me, I'm bored preaching this, so how must they feel? What I tried to do didn't work. So I'm not going to try and do that to you guys this morning. I'm going to give you three points. And what I've done as I've wrestled with these verses is that what I've really been reaching out for is, okay, it says these magnificent things about our Savior. And boy, oh boy, we should rejoice in that. But what does that look like to know these truths in our everyday life? And if we ask that question, we can then ask the question, are we living out these truths in our everyday life? So there are three points. The first of these being his power. The second of these being my, your confidence. The third of these being our source. So power. Power is one of these things that is very much in our mainstream thought at the moment. In fact, I think it's next Thursday we have a vote on the EU referendum. And one of the huge issues at stake, or one of the huge fault lines in the argument, is where power should lie. Should it lie with Westminster? Should it lie in Europe? Where does power lie with the people in the midst of all this? Who's accountable? Where are the decisions being made? You've probably had many leaflets through your doors explaining all this. There is this mysterious leaflet that the government paid £9 million to give to every house. And guess what? We've not had it yet. So somebody's taken our one. But we're getting lots of information is we, the people, have to make a decision. But one of the major things is about power. And power is everywhere. You will encounter power when you go to work. You will have bosses most likely, or you might be the boss. Either way, power 
is involved. And if you've got bosses, or if you are the boss and you've happened to walk into the staff room at the wrong point, you will know when power is in, people, when power is in good hands, things are generally going along quite well. And things work as they should. But when power is in people's hands who are not so great with power, it can be a bit of a nightmare. And we could probably think quite quickly of instances of both in our lives. Be it bosses, or teachers, or even parents. There are places where we see power used. It's used well, it's good. When it's used bad, it's not so good. Even when power is in good hands, such as in the hands of our God, we still see things that can go wrong. For the youth, they've all sat the pressure keg of exams. And at some point, when, do you, when did the results come for the exams? Somebody must know. There we go, 9th of August. That's a while away still, really, isn't it? But that will be a huge day as the results come through. Lots of pressure. There can be question marks over jobs. Even if people are working well and their managers are well. Our health can become issues. Even if all these other things are going well too. And where is Jesus in the midst of our lives? You know, as I look around the church this morning, I'm sure we're all facing threats, difficulties in one way or another. Where is Jesus for us in the midst of that? I want to give you a wee illustration. This morning I got up and I made myself my cup of tea. And I had in my head, I can't remember what the song was, but it was a song about trusting God. Can't bring to my mind which one it was. And I've just wrote, written a sermon, and part of this sermon is about trusting God. And one of the books I'm reading at the moment is about trusting God. And I was sitting, standing actually, I was standing making my cup of tea. Sitting would just be silly. But I was standing there making my cup of tea, and I was stressing over some anxiety, some unknown variable. And it wasn't until I think I'd said something to Anna that I began, that the penny began to drop and I, and I thought to myself, am I trusting God in this situation? And the answer was no. I was standing there and I was stressing about it, worrying about it. So when I, when I say to us, where is Jesus and who is Jesus in the midst of the difficulties? Sometimes we could be surrounded by the facts that we have to trust him. But it takes a little while for that penny to drop. These are incredible verses when it comes to articulating or explaining who Jesus is. Verses that very easily could have been one of the early Christian hymns that were sung. Stunning verses. He is the image of the invisible God. So we can know from that that when we look to Jesus, we see God revealed, the firstborn 
of all creation. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus isn't some creator who has put something into place and then disappeared and lost interest in it. No, he is one who is invested and present in his creation. You see, so many, especially with people, we build things and then we kind of lose interest. Even kids, they build stuff with Lego. And a lot of the time, it's what half done. Maybe even completed, but then it's put to the side and we're on to the next thing. Not so with our God. With what he created, he remains invested in. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and everything he might be preeminent. We're going to look at that one in point three. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When we look to Jesus, we see one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That Jesus, there, were, there was a song that came up. What was it? Was it Wild Heart? That it was describing of our God? And you see that in the Jesus of the Gospels. One who did things that were surprising. Sometimes extraordinarily gracious to the extent that it offended and upset others. That Jesus that we see in the Gospels is God reflected, is described here. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether peace on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood, sorry, by the blood of his cross. This is the Jesus that we call our King, our Saviour. Isn't it interesting that for a Jesus, that for Jesus who Paul here very articulately and thoroughly explains has all power, what he did with that power was to make peace. He didn't use it as a form of force or violence or coercion. He used it to make peace, to bring together, to reconcile. That's what Jesus did with his power. He is all-powerful. There is no doubt about it. It's very clear in these verses. But what Jesus does with that power is sometimes surprising to you and I. This is our God. But is he your and my confidence? We've just sung the song, How Great is our God. And I'm sure 
We all sung that song without batting an eyelid. But I wonder how great is your God? In the midst of the trials of life and the things that life can throw us, how great is your God? When our faith is tempted in a world which can often seem somewhat mental, how great is our God? When we see injustice around us, how great is our God? What difference does God make to our everyday life when it comes to him being described as he is here? Now Paul writes these verses to a somewhat confused people. He writes this to people who are confused over whether God could even come in flesh. They have have came to believe that all matter is evil, that it's all corrupt, and therefore God couldn't possibly be embodied as a person. Yet Paul makes clear that he was embodied as a person. He writes to people who live in a pagan culture where there's all sorts of different views of God and power at play. And yet he exalts Jesus Christ above it all. To confuse people, he seeks to bring clarity. And I wonder just how clear is our perception of God in the midst of all the different things that our lives entail. All of us are having different experiences, different trials, different tests, different joys, different blessings. How great is our God in the midst of all of this? You know, the word king is an interesting one for somebody who lives in the UK. So we speak about Jesus as the king of kings. And well, at the moment we don't have a king. But one day we will. We're going to have, and it will most likely be King Charles he'll be called. And you might like that news, or you might not, but that's beside the point. But when we think of what will be King Charles at that point, do we think of somebody who has all power? I wouldn't imagine so. We'd think of a rather ceremonial role. Someone who discusses things with Parliament, but ultimately Parliament makes the calls. He's not all-powerful. He may have some say, but not much. So the idea of a king for a person of today's age isn't one that communicates necessarily power. Back in days gone by, the idea of a king would be somebody who had the final say, who was all-powerful, but it's kind of a tame image for us today. But when we think of Jesus as king, we're not thinking of somebody who has to navigate with a parliament or somebody who any other power can stop. We're thinking of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the truth is, even if by some weird unfolding of offence, 
when we get King Charles, he became all powerful. He would still not be as powerful. He would still not be above Jesus Christ. What does it mean to us that Jesus Christ is how he is described here? This Jesus is the one who says nothing will drive him from our sides. Nothing can separate us from him. This Jesus is one who says he's going to empower us. He's going to equip us. He's going to strengthen us when it's needed. He's going to protect us. And ultimately he's going to deliver us to heaven itself. The God, the Messiah, the Saviour that's described in these verses can do those things. And nothing could stop him doing those things. Do we trust our God to do these things? A challenge that this made to me was prayer. How expectant are we in our prayers? To who do we think we are praying to? Are our prayers bold and expectant and persistent? Or are they half-hearted? More of a tight box exercise. Something we just do. How great is our God? And as I'm saying this, you might be thinking, well, William just prayed not long ago about the chaos that's in this world. And we don't have to look too far to see that at the moment. With some of the events that are going on in neighbouring countries such as France. We see verses here that describe Jesus Christ as the one in whom all things were created. Visible, invisible, heaven, on earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. How can we see Jesus as that? That person, that God, that saviour, when we see all the chaos in the world around us? The reality is, what we see is resistance to the lordship of Jesus Christ. People, situations, ideologies that have no interest at all in listening or obeying what Jesus taught and stands for. We are told in these verses that Jesus Christ has brought peace, reconciled all things to himself. Reconciliation is an interesting term because there are many different ways to bring peace. You could try and enforce peace. Sometimes that's effective. We see countries where that's effective, where the powers are around to enforce peace. People just have to toe the line. Reconciliation isn't enforcing peace. Reconciliation is bringing the two parties together and creating peace from that. That's what Jesus Christ has done. And when we look into our world, yeah, we see resistance to that. But we know that Jesus Christ will bring this to pass. Do we have confidence in him? Do we trust him? 
How big, how great is our God. And he is our source. One of the things I'm doing at the moment is I'm reading a lot about what is the church? Why did God institute it? What's its function? What's its purpose? What's its, what should its priorities be in the midst of functioning in the UK when there are so many other pressures that can distract the body of the church? How do we keep a good focus on remaining faithful to what God has called the church to be? Our verses tell us that he is the head of the body of the church. Head, of course, meaning is authority. Jesus is Lord. It's one of the things that we say frequently. He is the head of the church. The pastor isn't the boss. Jesus is the boss. But head also implies something more than that. Heads generally come with bodies. Unless you watch too many episodes of Criminal Minds, then let's not go there. But there is a body. We are that body. Jesus Christ is the source of the church. And we are part of that. As I was reading commentaries around this, one of them described the church as a heavenly outpost. Heavenly because it gathers around Jesus Christ. That's the church. And we are part of that. Our verses tell us that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. I thought that was the right phrase. He is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ, as we know, rose again. He died and he rose again. And when he did that, he ushered in a new age. And each and every one of us that trusts in Jesus Christ has a resurrection to look forward to. Resurrection from the dead when we will spend eternity with God. And that is just as sure and as true as Jesus doing it himself. And until that moment we remain part of this heavenly outpost heavenly communities that are the church. We're under the rule of the all-powerful Saviour, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I ask that question, how great is our God? What difference does he make in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life? where it's the joy of being reconciled with him. I don't know how I was trying to pronounce that there. We can trust him with everything. With our present, with our anxieties, with our stresses, with our hopes, with our expectations, with our dreams, with our ambitions, we can trust him with it all. We can place our lives in his hands and have joy 
because he is the saviour. And we know that nothing can separate us from him. Not life, nor death, nor any trial can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. So leave us with that question. How great is our God? He is the all-powerful one in whom we can trust. He is the one in whom we can have full confidence. He is the one in whom the church draws its identity from. How great is our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you revealed to us about Jesus Christ. That he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to trust our Saviour. Lord, there are so many different things in life that can pull our eyes from you. Trials, even joys, blessings, or things that feel like curses. Busyness, or even idleness. So many different things, Lord, that can take our eyes from you. So many things that can sow doubt into our hearts. Lord, I pray for each of us as we think of these words that our hearts would be filled with confidence in our God. More than that, that our hearts would be filled with joy because the God in whom we trust has assured us that he will get us to eternity's shore. That he will never leave us nor forsake us in life. That you will give us the words that we need for the different times. You will equip us. You will go before us. And that you even prepare good works in advance for us to do. So help us to trust you. To ponder. And to understand just a little bit more, Lord, your greatness. To trust the God that we know. And to rejoice in that. Lord, we ask the question, how great is our God? We can never fully answer that. But Lord, we pray that we would continue to have a concept of you that is continually growing and deepening and impacting our lives in many different ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the band up now. We're going to stand together to sing our closing song, which is... How great they were.